CLNS's Patriots coverage is powered by our exclusive wagering partners at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome bonus. Patriots Beat Podcast here on this Sunday afternoon. Alex and I wanted to touch base with you all on this off day to kind of reset the board a little bit, if you will, and discuss what we saw the last four days out at Patriots training camp so that when we get to Monday, we can turn the page to the new week of camp. But we'll start with the quarterbacks in here in a second. But Alex, just it was great to be back out there. You know, it was great to be back out there and see this team that Bill Belichick and company constructed on paper start to take the field and take shape a little bit. Even if we didn't get the full pad experience quite yet, it was good to see all these pieces kind of come together a little. Yeah, it was great. I actually, I was saying that to, to Phil Perry on my sports hub podcast yesterday, that you are kind of starting to see the picture here. And yes, not that the moves were necessarily total head scratchers, all the moves they made this off season, but we've seen in the past that maybe they bring guys in and the plan that they have for a player doesn't fit, you know, the, the plan in theory doesn't take place on the field, but right. early on, it looks like everybody's kind of the, the piece the puzzle pieces are coming together. It seems like the roles are making sense. The usage is making sense. So it's very early to make any definitive statement on that, but Nothing seems out of place so far, and that's good because we've seen guys seem out of place as early as that first week. Michael Bennett, uh, uh, was it was it Mike Pinnell? What was Pinnell's first name? The defense. Yeah, tackle. Mike Pinnell. Yeah. Mike Pinnell. Um, you know, we've seen guys kind of um, uh, Eric Decker. We've seen guys kind of be removed early in camp. I don't think anybody is stuck out. Even a guy like Nikhil Harry, who reportedly doesn't want to be here, although <laughs> right. he made some interesting comments this week, even he seems to kind of have his niche. So it just feels great. And then for me personally, I wasn't there last year because of yeah, COVID. We missed you know, it. Because it was super restricted. So, you know, to all the fans who came out, I'm sure it was a great experience. I shared that too. It's just, there's nothing like watching football practice. It was so nice to be back out there. Right. And and I kind of hit on this in, in my Sunday column that people can read on CLNSmedia.com about the offensive pieces, especially the new offensive pieces, Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, Nelson Aguilar, and Kendrick Bourne, in my mind, really practiced as advertised this week, right? Like Hunter Henry yeah. was very good in the red zone work that they did, finding voids in zone coverage or working against man coverage on in-breaking type of route seams, uh, in-breaker slants, things like that. That seemed to already be building a rapport, especially with Cam in the early going. Johnny, later on in the week, you missed many camps. So you kind of expected him to be a little bit slower uh, coming on here. Days three and four, all of a sudden we start to see him on those little shallow drag routes or crossers, take the ball and run with it. And you can see some of that explosiveness that he brings to the table. Kendrick Bourne has been fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Open all get practice long, almost a game long, all practice long, good hands, great route running ability, very smart player, instinctive player, just ex- exactly what you think about when you see this offense. And then with Aguilar getting behind the defense, right, and stretching the field a little bit, certainly impacting the way that the defense has to cover deep. And the Patriots haven't really had that, I would say, out of Aguilar and his skill set, maybe since Brandon Cooks, right, in 2017, having right, somebody that truly yeah. can run like that and get behind the defense and uh, go deep on a defense. So all these guys 
even four practices in, like you said, the pieces are already fitting together and you already see the makings of a really good offense. And I said that they're going to be a good offense this year because even though we've seen some ups and downs and inconsistencies in the first four days on the offensive side of the ball, you can see the plan and you can see the blueprint of what exactly it's going to be like a month from now, six weeks from now, two months from now, once we get into the regular season and more reps is just going to make this group better, not worse. And you kind of already know those four guys I just mentioned, and you can add Jacoby Myers into that as well. You you know that those five pass catchers can play in an NFL game and in an NFL. We've, we've seen it, right? They, they've played in real games before. They have tape in the NFL. They've done this for, uh, throughout their careers. And it wouldn't shock me if this is a really good offense. Now we have to talk about the quarterback position because I think that's the one. Well, can I just right? jump in real, real quick? Yeah. Cause I think this is kind of the transition you're making. What's been crazy is I thought Nelson. So I thought Nelson Aguilar was the best player on the field this week. Any position, any side of the ball. Uh, uh, Kendrick Bourne had one huge day, but he was good all week. Jacoby had a great week. Pretty much all the top receivers and one other guy who we'll get to later had right. a great week. And part of the reason that stands out is all the receivers, even when the quarterbacks were inconsistent and both guys were inconsistent at times. And I know that's what you want to get into, but even with the quarterbacks being inconsistent, the wide receivers still popped. Yeah. And that to me is a huge, again, it's early. But that, to me, is a, an encouraging development. Yeah. You know, I was on a Buffalo radio yesterday. They had I'm me call, call in and, and I give a little report on what Pat's camp looks like. And I, I said to Nate Jerry, who's a, a great uh, host there on Saturdays, and he said, how does the receivers look? And I said, you know, it's tough because on one hand, you hesitate and say, okay, did the receivers in 19 and 20 just play so poorly that having – an NFL professional receiver in Aguilar or in Bourne, does that just make those guys look so much better because of what we've seen in camp the last two years at that position, right? Like you're comparing Nelson Aguilar's speed and his ability to get the behind the defense and stretch the field to Demir Bird, right? Or, or, right. or last year you're kind of comparing Bourne to like a Mohamed Sanu type of player. And these guys are just better than those guys. And that's a good thing. That means that they've made improvements there. How big of an improvement it really is once you actually go up against a live defense, that I think will be a question that will remain unanswered, right? We'll have to see when the game start and once we get into the season. But let's turn the page to the quarterbacks because that that I I still think to me – I think we know at this point that those pass catchers we just mentioned are going to be good players for the Patriots. The quarterbacks are sort of the wild card, right? Like this offense is going to be as good as the quarterback play is for this offense this year. Now, Bill Belichick has continued to say Cam's our quarterback. He said it again yesterday. Definitively, Cam is our starting quarterback. He was seemed a little salty about it that we, that Ben Volan and a couple of other reporters kept on asking him follow up questions to it. And he gave you. He did make the clean slate comment right. earlier in the week. But, I, you know, I think what he was saying is – because I'm sorry to cut you off. I just want no. to get this in because there was a lot of back and forth about this. Cam Newton is our starting quarterback, and everybody enters camp with a clean slate. Can both be true at the same time? Cam Newton, we said it yesterday. Cam Newton, as we sit on July 31st, is the Patriots' starting quarterback. But – that you know that doesn't mean he will be the starting quarterback week one. Everybody is still competing, so I wasn't that surprised by either statement. I you know I kind of get what he's saying. Cam's the starting quarterback right now. He's not the starting quarterback for week one. 
he's a starting quarterback right now. And that seems true based on the reps. That's true. I'd say right. based on the performance, that's true. But Bill saying Cam's our starting quarterback isn't a guarantee that Cam's going to be the starter in October. Right. So I think that people just kind of need to, those statements don't necessarily contradict each other. And what we're seeing at practice kind of contradicts what Belichick is saying a little bit, right? Because you think no, so? I'm not saying that Belichick's lying to us. You, you made the point, right? That right now he's saying that he, Cam is the starting quarterback, which is 100% yeah. true. But I think what we are seeing out at practice is that Mac Jones is working with some of the, let's just call them key figures on the offensive side yeah. of the football. Presumed starters. Right, presumed starters a lot. And if Cam is your your starter and he's the one that's going to be starting all your games this year and there's no competition whatsoever, then having Mac throw to the other starters, having Mac work with the starting offensive line and having him do these things, that doesn't signal that, right? Like when Tom Brady was here in, in training camp in, in 2019 or training camp in 2018, or I, we weren't covering the team at the time, but back when Jimmy Garoppolo was here, Tom Brady was taking 99% of the first team reps, right? right. Like no, nobody else was throwing to Rob Gronkowski and Julian Edelman and Chris Hogan and whoever it was, right? Like they, they, those guys were working almost exclusively with Brady. So watching practice, you see Mac also working with some of those starting players and also throwing to some of the key guys. And you say, okay, well, they're clearly getting him ready to do something or they just want to put him with the best guys to see what he's got. Either way, they're testing him and they're, and they're trying to see how good he is going to be. But we can talk about Mac a little bit more in a second. I want to go back to Cam because I, I do think I have seen some – steady progress from Cam Newton out at practice in the last four days. And what we have definitely seen is in structure when the play goes as planned, when the defense gives him what he's expecting much more in rhythm timing, accuracy type of throws from Cam than what we saw in camp last year during the season last year at times and in mini camp in June. So when everything is going the way that he expects and when he reads the defense and he comes up with things that he's expecting to see, you are seeing him make, to me, more high-level throws in this training camp than maybe we have seen him make in the past. They worked a lot in the red zone. He did have to throw a bomb to Nelson Aguilar on day three, which was kind of like a, a wow moment from him. It was a great throw. And a lot of the throws that I have seen him make high-level in the red zone are to the corner of the end zone, to the back corner of the end zone. The guys like Bourne, uh, he threw one to Christian Wilkerson on day four. He threw one, a couple to Bourne, some to Aguilar in the back of the end zone, where you see him get to the right read, make the right decision, put the ball in a good spot and hit it in rhythm on time within the framework of the, t- of the, of the offense and with the playbook that, that that's what you want to see from cam. Now he talked about it after practice on Friday, when we spoke to him that the he- little bit of hesitation that he still has is when the defense changes, right? Like when he mentioned, Devin McCourty's, you, know, you come to the line of scrimmage and Devin McCourty shows me something and Kyle Duggar shows me something and Dante Hightower moves over a little bit. And then it's like, kind of like you got to reset the whole board, right? So when he goes into the meetings and he says, and, and Josh McDaniels puts a play up on the board and he says, Cam, it, defense shows you cover one. Where are you going with this ball? He's got the answer like that. 
But when the defense changes on him and the picture changes, and then he has to make an adjustment on the fly, there's still maybe a little bit of hesitation. But I, I do definitely think that we've seen some improvements from Cam. I, I do. And I think there's been specific throws, too. There was one we talked about it a good amount. Um, I think it was day two. They went to Bolden, right? And 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 we talked about it that good a good amount where he was in the red zone. Yeah. Bolden runs an option route to the sideline and Cam just the ball's out before the turn. Nice touch, perfectly placed, like made the pre-snap read. Everything that Cam didn't do last year, everything right. that we said Cam needs to be better at was embodied on that throw. Now it's just one throw. He did make a similar one it was the to next Gunner. day to Gunner, right? Right. So you're you're starting to see the 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 flashes of what needed to improve, right? When Cam said in the offseason, I need to be better at pre-snap reads. I need to not rush throws, right? This and that. Uh, he's, ba- he's so far, and it's early. I'll keep throwing that caveat out, but he's backed up what he said so far. Yeah, He seems to have made the adjustments or is working on making the adjustments that he himself noted he needed to make. And that's huge. That's big because if he makes those adjustments – you, you put that like the veteran in this offense and this complex offense is always going to have a slight advantage just having that experience. So if Cam can make some of these adjustments, that's a big development. Yeah. I, I think he's really has made some strides. Like I said, on script, right? When, when right. McDaniels makes a, cl- a call in the huddle and then it goes out there and the call that they make in the huddle matches the defense that they're going up against and he can make a quick decision with it. His, in rhythm, on time, accuracy has been a lot better than it was last year. We're still getting to the point where he can kind of adjust on the fly quickly to adapt to a different defense or a different structure if the defense changes things post-snap. But pre-snap reads, what they're running and asking him to run at this stage is very basic Patriot concepts, and he seems to have really gotten all that stuff down. I know we kind of differ a little bit maybe when I say this, but I feel like Cam's been the best quarterback out there for the first four days. I'm not going to say that it's been a landslide Cam Newton victory in the first four days of practice, but to me, the arrow is definitely pointing a little bit more towards Cam right now. Yeah, Cam, no, I, I would agree with that. Cam's been better. I don't think any quarter, neither guy has wowed me yet. I was kind of waiting for, and I wasn't there last year, but I remember that, you know, there were a couple days where, just based on the reports, you know, Cam was slightly ahead. I think Stidham had one day where everybody was like, oh, there's momentum. But then there was one day where Cam just lit it up. And his reps were double what Stidham's were, and he just performed better, and there was no looking back. So I'm not necessarily saying I was expecting that moment in the first week, but we didn't have that moment from either guy where it was like, whoa, okay, this guy, like, was fantastic today, lit it up today. There's yeah. been whoa throws, like individual throws. Sure. But, yeah. You know, even yesterday, which I thought overall was the best day for both guys, you had that two of 11 red zone period where Cam goes two of seven with one completion on a screen and Mac goes 0 of four. Neither guy t- to me has had that day where it's like, okay, like there is a clear, clear advantage. That being said, yes, I would say with the little things in the details, Cam has been the better quarterback through four practices, but I'm still, I'm still waiting for that, you know, bust down the door. This is my job moment. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think we might get that from Cam once the pads come on. I and think so, able too. To run around, around a little bit more and use his legs a little bit more, especially in those joint practices. I, I do also expect Cam to play a little bit maybe in the preseason games just because of all the new faces around him. Oh, I, I think he's going to get a good amount of time in the preseason. Yeah, really so, yeah, so I think maybe we can have those types of moments as well. But let, let's talk about Mac because it has there has been, I would say, no hesitation in my mind that Mac is living up to being a first round pick so far, right? It's, it's super yeah. early, but I haven't been out there and said, why do they draft this guy in the first round? Right? Like this guy is not a first round talent. We've definitely seen some of those moments of first round talent, plenty of them, honestly, probably, you know, half a dozen, if not more throws where I've said, okay, that that's why they drafted him in the first round. And we've had some issues with this with the Patriots. Like, Nikhil Harry's first training camp, I was kind of like, did they really take this guy in the first round, right? Like, Were you, he, I thought he was great that year. It was just he uh, got hurt. Oh, uh, no. Maybe we saw I, it differently. I, I remember him, like, away, like, guys. The way that he was – I don't want to get too much into the Nikhil Harry discussion okay. right this very minute, but – I, in terms of speed, right, and, and kind of That's dynamic writing yeah. ability, I was like, all right, you know, this guy's a big guy, but are, are we really seeing him pop off the field, right? Like, are we really seeing him him run by people and be just a, a dominant physical presence? I, I, I never really saw that. I also never really saw that in 2018 out of Sony Michelle, right? Like, I, I kind of, with him too, I was yeah, kind of Sony's like, first camp was. Yeah. A little bit slow, you know, not really right. a first round talent. With Mac, I've definitely seen first round talent. There certainly are rookie moments and maybe some just moments of hesitation or moments of clarity where we see him all the time after the play when he messes up going over to the receiver and asking, what did you see on this play and why did I mess up? You know what I mean? Trying to communicate right. with his wideouts in particular guys like Nelson Aguilar and Mac Jones have had long conversations at times after plays to try to get on the same page and try to see the field the same way, which I think is is great. I think that's a really good thing, but there are certainly times where you see in rhythm gets to the top of his drop, makes a quick decision, ball is out at the top of the drop and on point. And those are the moments where you say, that's the Patriots offense. That's why they drafted this guy in the first round. And you kind of go down that entire road. Yeah, I'm kind of still with Mac where I was at the end of the spring practices, which is there's you again, you can see why he's a first round pick. There's still some issues that are worth ironing out, but nothing that's like shocking. All the things he struggled with are things you expect a rookie quarterback to struggle with. There's been no red flag where it's like, uh oh, like that. Right. It, it doesn't that. look like it's too big for him. It, right. it looks and like he's comfortable on an NFL field. Everything, you know, everything's fixable. And a lot of it's just consistency, which yeah. Bill talked about that when he was asked, what is he looking for in the quarterback position? He said, among all positions, he looks for consistency. And, and that's got to come along because Mac, you know, he'll have his great plays. But there's probably more mental errors after those great plays than a guy like Cam Newton. But there was one play yesterday I saw, I think was was the first moment that I kind of, you know, it, you know, I had to, you know, step back a little bit was they were working in red zone and oh, I'm trying to remember who it was coming around the edge. It might have been no, it wasn't Kyle Van Noy. So it was a two number defender. I know it wasn't Judon. I know it wasn't Van Noy. Um, it might have been Uche, whoever it was. Somebody comes around the edge beats the tackle like around the back and steps up 
and there's no way Matt could have seen him from the angle. It's on the blind side. I can't imagine, like, it'd be very hard for Matt to have seen him, but just before he would have gotten a hand on him, Matt just takes, it wasn't even a full step, like a half step forward and to the left, and the, the edge rusher goes right by him, and he's able to step up and deliver the ball. And it wasn't a case of, oh, it's practice, I can't hit the quarterback. He legitimately, he legitimately yeah. moved off the spot so that the rusher wouldn't have a shot at him. And it was just like, you don't normally see rookies make that play. That's a play you see from a guy who's been in the league three, four, five, six years. And that was the one where I was like, okay, that is a high-level quarterback play. It was a very little thing. It was very subtle. But that's that's where he needs to come along. It's the subtleties that you can see he's picking up. And seeing that play, I was like, all right, that is – if he makes that play on Sunday, that's a touchdown. If he makes that play on Sunday, that's the one they're going back to during the week and pointing at what a great play this was. So that was really cool to see from him. And it's those moments that he needs to kind of start stringing together a little more consecutively, as is the case for any rookie. Again, it's all about consistency. But that play, like seeing that play, that's when I was like, all right, yeah, here we go. Now we're talking. Now we're cooking with fire. Very, very good pocket movement quarterback. Yeah. Very nimble in the pocket. He isn't the athlete that cam is in the open field but when he needs to bob and weave and stuff like that in the middle of the pocket and avoid rushers he certainly has all of that those types of tools and those instincts in the pocket kind of like a brady like a russell wilson where you can kind of see that he has eyes in the back of his head a little bit right like and you got kind of just feels the rush and is able to move around now i some of those plays i find are tough to gauge would it have been a sack in a game if you can hit the quarterback? Would it not? I think the one at the end of practice yesterday, I think it was Ronnie Perkins that was in his face. Maybe that's who it was. Yeah, and he let and he let up a little bit because he's not allowed to hit the quarterback, obviously, in practice. Either Mac was going to get sacked or he was going to get laid out, right? One, one right. or the other. And- well, no, I'm, I'm saying there was another one that this, this legitimately, like, he got out of the way. He yeah. moved out of the way. The defender would not have been able to get to him even if he wanted to. Yeah, he's very nimble in the pocket. That definitely stands out. The accuracy when he when he is in rhythm on time definitely stands out. I think the ball comes out better and maybe faster than I was expecting too. All those arm strength concerns. I don't know if you're gonna dial up a far hash sixty yard bomb if you're Mac Jones, but I don't think that I see any issues with the arm strength. I think he's got zip on the football when he needs to. He can get it into a tight window. There was a throw. I it might have even been day one cam it was a throw we talked about it cam was cheering him on from from the sideline i was really pumped for him he worked left to the left side moved the safety over with his eyes and then dropped like a teardrop dime to jacoby myers in the corner of the end zone on a crossing route and that was the type of throw where i was just like yeah yeah that's that's nasty right like that's a high yeah. level quarterback play that that's what you're looking for and we still need to see the consistency from him as you mentioned we, there's still a long way to go but you see those flashes and those individual throws where you say that's why he's going to it was a first round pick that's what we're going to hitch our wagon to long term they have they're in a really good spot i think and we're we're going to move on to the third quarterback that i wanted to bring up today but they're in a really good spot i think right now with cam as sort of the the current starter and mac as the long term answer at that position I think that plan, that bridge to the long-term answer in Mac is going as planned right now, right? right. I, I think that they're in a really nice spot that maybe last year with the way that Cam played, we would be a little bit hesitant to say that. But at this time, I, I four days in, 
I feel like Cam has the bridge, and then Mac taking over eventually is kind of on track right now. It goes back to what we said at the top of the show, right? You can see the offseason, the plan, the puzzle pieces, how they're put together. Uh, you know, you can you can kind of see it all happening in real time. And you mentioned that throw to Jacoby. Mac actually made a similar throw on Friday where I think it was in sevens. It wasn't in 11s, but he's looking left like the whole way and even pump fakes and the entire defense bites on the pump fake to the left. Yeah. And you had Gunner leaking out on a wheel and you just as Gunner all alone up the sideline. Like whoever I, I couldn't even see was covering Gunner because the guy bit on the pump fake so bad, but just, and then just drops it right into Gunner up the sideline for the touchdown. So the, he, he's got a nice little pump fake there too. He, you know, he kind of does the Phillip rivers, the shoulder, right. Instead of actually pulling the ball all the way out. But uh, that, that seems to be, one that one of his favorites from his toolbox. There is just a lot of little instances here and there where you see these flashes of just really high level quarterback play from Mac Jones that makes you excited yeah. if you're a Patriots fan. Those little movements in the pocket, the pump fakes, the eye manipulation. These are next level types of quarterback things. This is not things that rookies in their fourth or fifth training camp practices are usually doing. Right. You know, they're still swimming in the playbook and in all that. It doesn't look like that from Mac. It looks like he's still tinkering and he's still trying to figure out his receivers and and figure out where he's going to place the ball exactly in certain instances based off of how receivers are going to run routes. But the framework and the foundation, I think he has a pretty good grasp of already in the early going, which is extremely impressive. We got to mention Jared Stidham just here briefly. It broke on Friday night. We haven't done a podcast since. Jared Stidham uh, having back surgery, probably going to keep him out for a couple of months. I kind of put on Twitter that I sort of feel like maybe this ends with Jared Stidham going on IR for the year because they don't really need him uh, this year. Maybe next year they use him as a backup to Mac Jones if they don't re-sign Cam long-term. So uh, I I could see this year being sort of an IR year uh, for Jared Stidham after this back injury and it's, it's a tough break for him because it was once pretty promising, right? His 2019 rookie camp was better than expected. I'm not going to sit here and say that he was the next guy or anything like that, but it was better than expected. You got to give him that, right? I guess I, you started this off by saying we have to talk about Jared Stidham. Is that because this is the last time you think we'll talk about him? Um, I don't know if you remember, and we don't, unfortunately don't have it anymore. It was on the old CLNS YouTube channel. My reaction when they took Stidham. You were not and pleased. You Pardon and me. everybody else telling me to calm down. It wasn't that bad. Well, it was the fourth um, round pick, right? I mean, it wasn't like they drafted him with a top 50 pick. Uh, we just lost Alex. He'll be right back. And yes, Alex was not on the Jared Stidham train to begin with. I'll give him that credit. Uh, there he is. Hello there. Yeah. We love- back. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Um, You're giving me the business was, about Jared. No, it's it's fine. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I think maybe he comes back on IR next year, but even still with back surgery, that's, yeah. that's scary. That's and, and in all honesty, like I hope he's okay. And yeah, that's freaky stuff. It really is anything with the back. So you never know. And he's a guy I had trouble penciling him into their long-term plans right now. Not just, and it's not just a talent thing. It's, you know, you have back surgery. I know they're saying 12 weeks, but they also said, you know, it sounded similar to the report about Edelman's knee injury last year. Remember where that wasn't season ending. It's right. just going to be a month or two. And now it was career ending. He never played again. So I, yeah, I think this is a major red flag for Jared Stidham's career, just physically. 
I got a question on Twitter. Somebody said, how does Mac Jones' start the trading camp compare to what we saw out of Jared Stidham as a rookie or even Jared Stidham last year, just to kind of get a barometer of what level Mac is on? He is light years ahead of Jared Stidham yeah. right now in my mind. And I, I think Jared Stidham, I don't think I've ever seen Jared Stidham practice as, as well as Mac has practiced in, in these first four days. So I, I, I don't think that there's any comparison there between these two guys. My only thought on Jared Stidham's long-term future with the Patriots is that maybe he is a quarterback that certainly stylistically fits a little bit more in the Mac mold, right? So as a backup, it's not a bad backup option. I'm not saying he's good. I'm just saying from a stylistic perspective, they do kind of align. So can Jared Stidham be Brian Hoyer? Right. Can he can he be Mac Jones's long term backup like Brian Hoyer was for a while with Tom Brady? Maybe maybe that's an option. And again, with Cam being the starter, at least to start the season and Mac being the backup, that probably means that Jared Siddham's on IR this year. Maybe he comes back next year, can compete for the backup quarterback job behind Mac Jones. And maybe they go about it that way, but that's enough time on Jared Stidham. I I think that we just wanted to mention it just because it was news. It's news. Yeah. All right, so uh, before we move over to the defense side of the ball, we wanted to do, give out some uh, superlatives, awards here for the first okay. week of practice. Under the radar standout on the offensive side of the ball, we talked a lot about the key guys, the starters, the big guys, yeah. the big names. Give me an under-the-radar player that's impressed you. I have a feeling we might have the same answer for this, but let's just keep okay. go ahead and Somebody mentioned it in the chat, uh, Christian Wilkerson. Yeah, that's where I was going to. Gotten off to a great start. He had the play of the day on day one. He caught a couple touchdowns yesterday. The real thing that stood out to me, though, was at one point, was it on Friday? I said something to you when this happened. It might have been Friday. Uh, he was working off to the side with Matthew Slater yeah. on gunning techniques. And that, to me, is significant because, one, however good he looks as a receiver, he's going to have to play special teams to get on the roster. He's going to be that far down the depth chart. Two, if he's overdoing that during positional drills, he's not with the wide receivers. And that means like the coaches have to okay that. He can't just say, oh, I'm going to work with Matthew Slater now. So they clearly have a more specific plan for him. Uh, there was a report by Justin Mello when he when Wilkerson was in Tennessee last year or something similar, where he told reporters like he was stressing special teams. He was telling the coaches, put me on as much special teams as you can. Matthew Slater talked about trying to preach this to some of the younger guys. Yeah. How, you know, he they need to play special teams if they want to make it. And you put all those puzzle pieces together, and he seems like a guy who's doing all the right things. And Isaiah Zuber's kind of been my guy for that fifth receiver spot, and special teams was a big part of that. I don't know. He's been fine. I don't know that he's popped the way Wilkerson has popped. Wilkerson's a more polished receiver as well. I just think, you know, so far and long way to go, have to put that caveat on. But so far, I think Christian Wilkerson has done a great job positioning himself for that final wide receiver spot. We always go back to the Maurice Harris comparison because I just I think that was like the perfect example of this, right? You it, loved it, Maurice Harris. Oh yeah, here we go again. In minicamp, right? Maurice Harris looks great. Nobody's talking about Jacoby Myers yet, right? Then we get to training camp. And it completely flip-flopped. I, I think it was Doug Kite who put out that meme of when, like, the guy's looking over his shoulder at another girl and, and one of the girl that he's walking with is Maurice Harris and Jacoby Myers is the girl walking by. That's sort of how I feel right now with Zuber and Christian Wilkerson, right? We were all on the Zuber train after minicamp. He had 
flashed a bunch of times during minicamp. Now it's Wilkerson who's kind of taking that torch. I think pointing out that he's contributing and trying to contribute more on special teams is huge because he's going to be the fifth, maybe even the sixth wide receiver to make the team. And if he's going to be active on game day, he's going to have to have a huge role on special teams, right? He's not going to be active on game day as the fifth receiver unless he's contributing in the kicking game. So that's a big part of it, but he has ran really good routes. He's gotten open plenty and he's contributing and playing with the other starters a lot of the time too, right? It's not, and right. he's not mixing in with the scout team offense and it's not Brian Hoyer throwing him passes. It's Cam and it's Mac throwing him passes a lot of the time. And he gets open. He's a very shifty player. You see some of that dynamic explosiveness. He's mostly going to work out of the slot. I think he almost caught a deep bomb from Mac Jones down the right sideline. They like just missed on it. And, and he actually got behind the defense. I think that was against D Virgin or one of the scout team defensive uh, cornerbacks, but regardless, you see the athletic testing that he did after his, uh, when he was a UDFA, I think last year, right? And, uh, at his pro day, he tested through the roof. He had ran in the four fours, like a six, seven, three cone or something like that. Like he had a huge pro day and you definitely see some of that dynamic athleticism, the quickness. And when you talk to a lot of these guys, uh, especially out at these like Patriots, passing camps in the summer that we all kind of try to get the inside scoop on, right? When Jared Sidham held the thing out in Cali, a lot of these guys that are at these things are telling us, you know, Christian Wilkerson's the next big thing, right? Christian Wilkerson's a guy that's going to come on and and be a contributor. I've been impressed with him so far as well. He got a a really nice pass from Cam yesterday. He's been open. He's a good route runner. He wants to contribute on special teams where he's going to have to be. I think that right now he's definitely the early favorite to be the fifth or the sixth wide receiver on the team, depending on what happens with Nikhil Harry. So real quick, I found this quote and I wouldn't be, this is from Justin Mello, uh, the, whatever the Titans SB nation blog is music city miracles. That's a good one. Um, I always enjoy the SB nation blog names. They're fun. Anyway, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Bill Belichick signed Christian Wilkerson on this quote alone. So Mello asked him, Uh, How important is it to you to be able to contribute on special teams? Here's Wilkerson. Quote, I'd like to play on every single special teams unit. If they can put me on all four units, that would be great for me. I'd be happy to play on every return team. I can run down the field and be a gunner. This dude loves, apparently loves special teams. And that's a great, absolutely. That's a great sign. And boy, if that's his mentality, what a better potential mentor for him to have than Matthew Slater. Absolutely. All right, let's move over to the defense side of the ball because yep. defense matters too. We'll do 30 minutes on offense, 30 minutes on defense. We are pe- well, wait, right do I get on to get my defensive sleeper or are we doing that at the end? We're going to do it at the end. We're going to okay. do the exact okay. same kind of format. Uh, I think a lot of the questions are about on the defense, uh, the second year guys, Duggar and Uche. So I'm going to bring that up in a second, but uh, also the new faces, right? Uh, Judon, Godshaw. How does Jalen Mills look? How does uh, Dante Hightower look coming back from the opt-out? We can start wherever you want to start, Alex, but just with some of the the newer faces on that defense and how it's kind of taking shape. Yeah, so if there's one guy of the new players that's really popped to me, and this is odd because there's no pads, and he himself said it's tough to evaluate his position with no pads, Devon Godshaw has kind of been a menace. He's a monster. Especially in the passing game. I have him with at least three batted passes at the line. And I actually think I'm low on that number. It might be closer to four or five. There's three specifically I can remember, but he's making it hell for the quarterbacks without even necessarily, you know, breaking into the pocket. And 
that that's a, that's a fun thought because the Patriots haven't, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily something they've really prioritized in defensive tackles over the years. Uh, they more so just want guys who are going to get in the way and open up opportunities for everybody else. But if Godshaw is kind of getting in the way like that and he can keep knocking down passes and make that a regular thing, it's going to help them out a lot because it just makes it easier to cover the middle of the field. You kind of know you have that one extra little line of defense right. in there. So that, you know, among the new players on the defense, I think that's really stood out to me. I feel like at least once a day, oh, hey, that, that pass got batted down. Who was it? Oh, it was Devon Gotcha. Oh, again, awesome. So he's been uh, he's been really fun to watch and fun guy to talk to, too, by the way. He seems to genuinely enjoy being in New England, being a Patriot. Uh, had a fun little back and forth with the media. So I, for a number of reasons, definitely got to get excited about it. He is definitely looking the part so far of that true nose tackle that the yeah, Patriots right. really missed and last year. By the way, a him, huge fan of Vince Wilfork. He yeah, brought up Vince Wilfork twice during his interview. The dude loves Vince Wilfork, which is fun. Right, and if you're a nose tackle, you have two choices on, on passing situations, whether it's play action on first down or you're on the fielder in second and third down. You either got to be a penetrating guy or you got to be able to get your hands up and get in the passing lanes, right? You got to do one of those two things to make yourself have some passing game value if you're a nose tackle. And he's at least getting his hands up in those passing lanes and swatting down a lot of passes. He's a built big dude. He looks the, like an absolute giant in the middle of the defense. Everything that you would want to see. Now, we haven't seen pads. We haven't seen true run game stuff yet. So that's what he's here for. So we still have to wait and see how dominant or effective he can be as a run stopper and a block eater. But so far, he definitely looks like you would want him to look. And I, I really think that that's going to be so massive for this defense. And similar to with the linebackers that are now involved, that this looks on paper and what we've seen out in the practice field, like a Belichick three, four, right? Like, yeah. like, like what Bill envisions, what he wants. We got linebacker versatility. We got depth at linebacker. We have a true nose tackle. We got some pl- plugging three, four defensive ends and guys like uh, Lawrence guy, or even uh, Henry Anderson, Christian Barmore, Dietrich wise, I think is, is okay in that role as well. And you have some of these players and, and you see the pieces and it looks like, when Belichick defenses are really good in the front seven, this defense has that all on paper. And Dante Hightower has looked absolutely fantastic yes. coming back from yes. the opt-out. He has really flashed more in coverage than I think maybe he ever has in a training camp setting where we're not hitting people, we're not getting into run game, and Dante Hightower is still breaking up passing passes and still being involved in the coverage a lot more than maybe you would expect. So he's moving around a lot, uh, really, really well so far, I would say. Yeah. And him adding coverage to his game just brings another element. We'll see because he's always been a supreme downhill linebacker and he, he definitely took some weight off, I think in a healthy way, but he took yeah. some weight off. So we'll see how he looks coming downhill. We might not see that till the preseason, but uh, you know, it just adds another dynamic. And we've talked about the depth at middle linebacker and, if Hightower is going to have more opportunities as an outside guy, then it opens the door for Juwan Bentley to play more. It opens the door for Raekwon McMillan, who had a very good first week. Uh, um, what's uh, why am I blanking? The kid from BYU, who they was here. Harvey Longy. Harvey Longy had a good week. So if Donta Hightower, the more he can move around, the more it actually helps them flex their depth at linebacker, which is probably correct me if I'm wrong. I think the deepest position on the roster. Uh, linebacker oh, yeah. slash defensive end edge guy. So it's, yeah, I, I couldn't have pictured, 
I don't think you could script a better return for Hightower than what we've seen so far. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely the deepest group. And if Bill Belichick, the way that he builds defenses and the fact that he clearly wants to stick with this 3-4 system, you need to have that depth at linebacker, right? Like yeah. that, you're going to put four guys on the field, maybe three in today's NFL because you have the nickel corner and, and stuff like that. But you're going to play four probably, if not maybe even five at times, if you're going to go into some pass rush packages. We haven't even seen Chase Winovich, right? Right, Because he's on right. the up list. So they still have one more player to, to get out there and kind of integrate as well. So uh, they, they have a lot of depth there. It's looked great. It's looked good. Dudon's looked good. I mean, I, I like I, I said to you off the air, I, I have a tough time putting a ton of stock in the front seven until we put the pads on. But at least what we're seeing so far it has been a really nice look to what we can envision is going to be a very good defense. I do want to talk about Duggar and Uche a little bit more. Duggar specifically, he started to come on a little bit the last couple of days in coverage. I have seen some improvements. He broke up a pass uh, for Nelson Aguilar. It looked like he was in maybe zone or, or kind of like a, a match zone type of coverage. And he was able to break up a pass on a slant to Aguilar, who's been open a lot and caught a lot of passes in camp. So you see him break up a pass on a pretty good receiver. That That seems to bode well. He's had some moments where he's been a little step slow in coverage like he was a year ago. I think he is starting to click into coverage responsibilities a little bit more. And once we see the full pads and contact, I think we're going to start to see Kyle Duggar really start to come on. And I just want to add, too, if we're going to talk about the safeties, Adrian Phillips has been the best safety on the field. Fantastic. He's yeah, been so good. He had one pass breakup on Jonu yesterday. That was, I mean, it was, it was such a good play where Johnu probably should have caught the ball. It was a very catchable pass, but the way Phillips positioned himself, he didn't just break the pass up. It, he probably turned it into OPI. So yeah. he's been, you know, I kind of talked about it at the beginning of training camp where he's in some ways to me, I look at him as a guy, even though he's been in the league, what I think it's going to be a six year. I look at him almost in the category of those second-year guys when you talk about the jump, and Bill Belichick always talks about the jump players make from year one to year two because he played a position last year he'd never really played. He had a role that he'd never played at this level. He said he hadn't played linebacker since middle school, I think. So now he has a year in that, playing that position. He has a year in the system. So he's a guy, again, even though he's a veteran, I can see him making one of those patented Patriots year year two, air quotes, jumps. It's going to be tough to decide who's going to, how they're going to divvy out these snaps. Cause Adrian Phillips, like you said, has been dominant at times covering right. the tight ends. He's been great. And Duggar, you know that he's, it's going to come for him and you want to get him out there and you want to get him experience and all that kind of stuff. So you have. I think a log jam there of sorts and Adrian Phillips has certainly played so well in the beginning of camp. And if this continues, you're going to want him on your football team, right? You're not going to want anything to do with moving on from him. So there is going to be, I think, a fight there. And then you mix Jalen Mills in that category as well as sort of those hybrid. He's more of a hybrid corner safety where those guys are more linebacker right. safeties, but they do have some overlap of playing inside and playing in the box. And, you have to wonder where do all these snaps go and how do they get everybody on the field? Because Adrian Phillips right now has been probably their best defensive back in camp. I, I, I don't think that that is, uh, uh, I think that's, that's you no, know, I agree defense. with that. Yeah. yeah. Like, the only way he hasn't been the best defensive back in camp is if you consider him a linebacker. 
Yeah. Well, he's been playing a lot more true safety spots, I would say, in this camp than what he played last year during the season. Hopefully that's because they actually have real linebackers. Not, not No offense right. to Adrian Phillips playing linebacker, but hopefully that means they have real linebackers that can play linebacker instead of Adrian Phillips having to play linebacker. Well, he I, can he can still kind of play that linebacker role. Like the role he was playing last year was a linebacker role, but he also had to play it on early downs and run situations because it was just they needed the bodies. Right. Now they can use that role more selectively and not have him in those spots against the run as much. That to me is is the big change. Yeah, it's been a, a really good camp for Adrian Phillips. Josh yeah. Uche, we'll see when the pads come on, if he can continue to. He is a tough dude to block coming off the edge. He, he really is. He's somebody that's got that great first step, an ability to turn the corner. He, he had, You pointed it out to me yesterday, uh, Trent Brown, he got right around Trent Brown on one yeah. rep yesterday. You know, it, he's a really uh, difficult guy to block as well. We mentioned Hightower has been great. Judon, I think, is really in the same category somewhat of Hightower. It's such a physical presence in his in way he plays and his playing style. That that's going to really start to come on in once the pads go on. Um, but this defense in the front seven has really looked very good. I still sit here, though, and say – the cover talent in the secondary after some of those top guys, J.C. Jackson, John Jones, Phillips, Duggar, once you get into the depth of this secondary, the Patriots in my mind, in my eyes, are telling me don't necessarily have the depth that they haven't had in years past, especially at cornerback. When you get past J.C. Jackson and John Jones and you start getting into some of those depth corners. We don't have Stephon Gilmore is obviously not out there yet, but that top three is solid. But the fourth guy, the fifth guy, we continue to harp on it, but it, it does definitely you get into that Mike Jackson, D Virgin, Jalen Mills at outside corner. Jawan Williams has had some nice pass breakups, I would say, but he's also gotten burned a few times in coverage. It, it drops off pretty considerably, I'd say, in pure cover talent after those top three. Yeah, we talked a lot about Juwan Williams and Michael Jackson coming in, and I don't know yeah. that either guy has has put themselves aside. That you know, still a lot of time left. I, I can't wait until there's not a lot of time left so we can stop saying that freaking yeah. caveat. But um, that is you know, at a certain point, not yet, but probably after about the second preseason game, we'll start talking about what where are they going to look externally? Where do they bring guys in after camp instead of maybe fill spots with their own guys? But if we were to, you know, look really early, take a really early look at that, I, I don't think it's close. I think cornerback is the spot where they're going to have to look for an internal option to to provide that depth behind Gilmore and, and Chasey Jackson on the outside. Yeah, because it certainly has been a rough camp for guys like Mike Jackson and D Virgin. I mean, not that we thought that D well, Virgin was... Virgin, Virgin, I, like, he was a special teams guy. Right. I don't think he, I, I would say looking at D Virgin as a corner is like looking at Cody Davis as a safety. I'm not putting right. a ton of snap in his defensive reps. To me, he's competing with a guy like Brandon King. Uh, I like it would be Davis that gave Davis money, so he's going to make the team. But like the Brandon Kings of the world, I think that's more what D Virgin's here for. He spent a ton of time with the special teams unit in positional drills. Uh, I I don't necessarily know that he's here for you know coverage reasons. I think if you get to that point. A lot has gone wrong. Yeah, fair enough. Jawan Williams is the guy. I can I continue to sit here and say it, but I, Jawan Williams is he the should guy, be the guy that needs to step up and take those snaps that Jason McCourty walked out with, and or at least 
share them with with Jalen Mills, who I think is going to be involved in those snaps pretty heavily as well. And he's had some moments, like I said, he broke up an, a pass along the sideline uh, against uh, Nikhil Harry. He was in coverage with Nikhil Harry. It was a far hash throw for Mac, and he was able to jump it and break it up. He's had maybe two or three pass breakups in the first four days of camp, so he has been at least active in getting his hands on the football, but then there are still those instances where he looks a step slow out there and he's not able to really lock down his man and gets beat we'll see what things kind of get in between the 20s if he can sort of handle speed a little bit better and handle those quickness quickness a little bit better but I, I still that's the pick that's going to end up hurting them if, if Juwan Williams is another Belichick second round miss defensive back that's going to end up coming to bite them because now is when they expected they were going to need him and they do need him as sort of a depth option behind those guys because you never know you never know if Gilmore goes down. If JC Jackson goes down, they're going to need a starting outside corner. And it's probably looking like it's going to be Jalen Mills at the moment. If that does happen. Well, even besides those guys going down and here I go again with this, Jason McCourty, do you have the number memorized? Do you have the number memorized by now? I think it's what? 60% of the snaps. 65. Jason McCourty played 65% of the snaps last year. He is now in Miami. Even when you factor in the the time that Gilmore was hurt, you're still looking at over 50% of your defensive snaps at the outside cornerback position, you have to fill. You'd like to think those would be Juwan Williams snaps right now. It's not necessarily looking that way, but they will. They like to rotate those corners. Gilmore and Jackson are their one and two, but part of the reason those guys look so good is they can strategically give them a series off here and there to keep them fresher than maybe the wide receivers they're going up against, you know, not drain their stamina too much. The only way you can do that is if you have a reliable third guy. Jason McCourty was as good a third corner as you're going to find in the NFL. I don't know that they'll find somebody like him, but they can do better, I think, than what Juwan Williams has shown thus far, and it's kind of important that they do. Yeah, I, I agree. You'll, you'll have that number memorized soon. Don't worry. Oh yeah, I, I basically do, and it's it's I, I still, you know how people, I, I we're, we're crossing sports here. I'm gonna do it anyways. You know how people with the Bruins always go back to that 2015 draft, right, where they they pass on Matt yeah. Marzal and a couple of other really good players, and they and they ended up whiffing on the guys that they took, and everybody always says that was sort of the draft where they had an opportunity to add an influx of young talent to the core, and, and they weren't able to hit on those picks the Jawan Williams pick I'm not saying it's going to cost them a Super Bowl or something crazy like that but the Jawan Williams pick was the pick that they had in mind to be able to move on from Stefan Gilmore to be able to move on from Jason McCourty right and right. once those players aged out of their of their system and of their program they were hoping that Jawan Williams who was a top 50 pick he was what I think 46th overall in the 2019 right, draft yeah. they right. drafted him in the top 50 to be the guy that went down the road when Stefan Gilmore was 31 years old and they didn't want to hand out a big uh, contract to him or when uh, Jason McCourty aged out and retired or moved on because they were looking to integrate younger players. They drafted Juwan Williams with that in mind. Now the time has come and I just don't, I don't see Juwan Williams seizing the day, right? Like I don't see him going out there and really solidifying himself as that player in that spot and I'm not sitting here to go on some rant about Belichick's draft record and all that kind of stuff and they did make up for it with JC Jackson as an undrafted free agent that year so they got a good corner out of that draft but the point is or out of that rookie class I should say but the point is is that that pick was the guy that they had in mind to be the next guy and Dewan Williams just hasn't 
hasn't taken the bull by the horns. And, and that's something that I think might come back to bite them a little bit. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've been a defender of Williams in that I don't think he hasn't played for the last two years because he's not a good player. He's just buried behind unprecedented depth. Like I just said, Jason McCourty as your third outside corner, that's incredible. And the fact that they kept those guys together as long as they did is impressive. But now that depth's not there, and we talked about this coming in, this was the kind of put up or shut up year for Juwan Williams. This is okay. There's no more blockage in front of you. You should right. have a chance to come up and play significant snaps at your natural position. And we haven't seen it from him so far. Still early. Uh, I think the preseason is still be, early. All, all the caveats. I, I think I think the preseason. We should just rename the show "Caveat Still Early" for the next. Yeah, it's still early. No pads. Um, I think I think the preseason is going to be really big for Juwan Williams. I'm, I'm hardly writing him off yet, but this is really this is it. This is his moment. It's sink or swim for him right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's finish this up with the de- under-the-radar defensive player that has stood out to us in training camp four days in. Go. Rashad Berry. It's got to be Rashad Berry. I, I have him at three sacks. I was talking to Phil Perry yesterday. Phil has him at four. Um, and, look, sacks with sacks in training camp are relatively useless. Sacks before the pads come on, it kind of doubles down. But at the same time, he has four of them. Nobody else does. Yeah, And he's a guy kind of like with Wilkerson, who we talked about before, is going to be able to contribute on special teams. He's been getting some significant special team snaps in team drills. And if he's going to keep flying off the edge like that, he's going to make it hard for them to, to not keep him. So he's been somebody who's kind of popped to me and a guy I think they like. They elevated him a couple times in the practice squad last year. He has that positional versatility. He used to play tight end. They love guys who changed positions. They got a number of them on the roster between Gunner, Jacoby, uh, JC Jackson. So he fits the mold and he's off to a strong start. So he's somebody who absolutely deserves a closer look here when the pads come on and we start really seeing these edge rushers get after it. Yeah, you know, he's a guy, like you mentioned, that they called up a bunch of times off the practice squad last year with those COVID rules where it was really easy to go back right. and forth. They called him up a bunch and had him active on game day a couple of times last year. I want to say he was dressed for maybe four or five no, games he, last he year. He played. I'll find the snaps. He played last year. Yeah, he played a pretty good amount, especially in the kicking game. I, I think that he's certainly somebody that as we get into the deeper parts and, and really get into the competition setting of training camp – he will could be someone that we are starting to say, hey, when we do our roster projections, you got to at least have him in the mix. It's a deep position. It's a tough position to make the team. But if he can contribute in the kicking game and he can rush the passer the way that he has the first couple of days, then he's going to be a tough guy to leave off. Maybe they can still stash him on the practice squad this year. And there's still uh, those COVID rules have carried over to this season with the practice squad. So you can still move guys up and down for game day actives and stuff like that. So maybe that's still the role that he kind of fits into, but if he has a really good, preseason a really good training camp and he plays well in these joint practices you know against Philadelphia or the Giants and he plays well in those three games another team he might not clear waivers right you know he might not get right. through waivers so you have to consider that the the real, name that I real real quick Rashad yeah. Barry last year three games 40 okay. snaps on offense 34 on special teams so he I mean that's not insignificant it's not. Yeah, so he was playing. They had him playing basically tight end last year. More, you said offense, right? Or did you mean? Oh, defense? sorry, defense. No, forty yeah. on defense, 
They didn't, I thought have, they didn't play, play any offensive snaps last year. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, wait, yeah, where are you playing that's on my offense? bad. Well, because he was a tight end in college. He switched back, and, and I think they originally yeah. signed him as a tight end. He switched back and forth. A yeah, they've listed him on, on the transaction wire as tight end slash linebacker a couple of yeah. times when they were doing all those uh, ups and downs from the practice yeah. squad. My yeah, guy is 34. Yeah, my guy it continues to be Montrevious Adams. I, I just feel like I see 90 out there on the defensive line a whole lot. And that's sort of right now what I'm kind of putting stock into, especially with the linemen in the trenches until again, the caveat, the pads come on, right? We are looking at who's playing when, who's getting reps, who's involved with the starting defense, who's playing next to guys like Guy and Godshaw and Anderson and these Dietrich Wise and players, you know, are going to be on this team. I still see Montrevious Adams potentially having a role on this team, especially because Byron Cowart has been on the uh, PUP list and hasn't participated in any of these practices. Until that time comes, you have Christian Barmore, who you know is going to come along eventually, but the Patriots are not one to rush rookies into the lineup. So maybe Montrevious Adams plays as that sort of inside penetrator until Christian Barmore is ready to, to play a bigger role in the defense later on in the season. So I, I think that that's somebody that I have sort of circled as he's playing with some of the regulars he's getting into the backfield a little bit another guy that I I marked down with a a training camp sack the other day I think that he's someone that I again if Coward doesn't come back and doesn't start playing well I I think Montrevious Adams is could push him off the roster and could be sort of that bridge to Christian Barmore whenever Christian Barmore is ready to take on a bigger role but uh two guys in in Barry and uh Montrevious Adams in the front seven, closer to the line of scrimmage, I really wish I could have given you guys a secondary player, right? Like we mentioned Adrian Phillips. I don't, I think he's too known to be truly under the radar, right? Like we, right. we know he's going to probably make the team. I wish I could have said Mike Jackson's had a great camp or, uh, I don't know, even Juwan Williams might have been a little bit more so, under the radar. I, I think I can give you, if it's not under the radar enough, let me know. Uh, Miles Bryant has been good. Yeah. I don't know that he's had like a standout moment, but he, he's getting quality reps. He's getting quality reps and he's getting them often. And he seems to be somebody who they have a plan for. So I'm, I'm yeah. excited about that. I was a big Miles Bryant guy last year. I thought outside of that one half against the Jets in week 17, he, yeah, you know, put together a strong showing for a five, nine rookie. So. Uh, I like that they're keeping him around. I think he brings a unique element and I'm excited to see that he's kind of getting some run here. Yeah. The good thing about Miles Bryan is I feel like I haven't called his name a lot, which probably which means, that he, yeah, probably means that he's been blanketing the guy that he's been. Well, covering, so. Were you the one I was talking to about Jonathan Jones or was that Matt Dolloff? Where it's probably Matt, we were like, Oh, Hey, there's Jonathan Jones. We haven't said anything about him, but like yeah. in the best way, like Jonathan yeah. Jones, that might be the best internal contract Bill Belichick has signed in New England. It's got to be up there. I mean, they got him for three years, less than ten million a year. He's a top five slot corner in football. Just goes out so consistent. Um, he's just total side note, but that was a great contract. Jonathan Jones, great player. Yeah, really quickly, I kind of hope that they can do something similar with J.C. Jackson. I don't think oh, they're going to get no way. I don't think they're going to no get way. as major of a discount with Jackson, but. Jackson was an undrafted free agent. When you talk to him at the podium, he doesn't seem too concerned with making a hundred million dollars, right? You know, like I think that there is some wiggle room there. They discovered him. They developed him. I think there is a little bit of wiggle room. And I also think that if you load 
Jackson's deal was some heavy guarantees early on, like a, a guaranteed signing bonus, for instance. This is a guy that hasn't cashed in yet in the NFL, right? So right. if you give him 30 million guaranteed as an undrafted free agent that wasn't even sure he would make a team coming into training camp, that's a really nice check, right? Like right. It, it's kind of hard to pass up as a 24, 25 year old player that didn't think that he might, didn't even know if he would necessarily have a role in the NFL. And now a team's handing him a $30 million check at signing. That, that is tough to pass up. I know his agent is Drew Rosenhaus. He's going to want more money. He's going to want to drive the hard bargain and hit free agents. But if you're J.C. Jackson and the Patriots and you can come to maybe 12 and a half, 13 million dollar deal with a heavy guarantee up front, maybe you can sort of make that deal happen like with Jonathan Jones towards the end of training camp right before the regular season in 2019. They signed Jonathan Jones. I think it was like Labor Day weekend. It was right before because it was in between when Antonio Brown got cut and when he signed with the Patriots. I remember that. Right. So, so it was early, yeah. Early yeah. late. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyways, uh the last thing we wanted to do, last superlative here, if you will, the practice player of the first week of training camp. We might have the same answer for this one too, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, it's gotta be Nelson Aguilar. Yeah. I, even even with I, I think we got the full Nelson Aguilar experience this week because he had a couple of drops where, you know, it's not like the ball hit him in stride right between the numbers, but they're balls you expect your number one receiver to catch. There was one deep ball for Mac Jones that was a little behind him, and he probably overestimated how behind him it was. And he just he couldn't readjust, and the ball hit the turf. And there was another one where uh, it was Cam who threw the ball. You know, he's running an out to the side of the end zone. And Cam, I thought it was a beautifully placed ball, just right out. Like, it was over out of bounds. You know what I mean? And it's the yeah. kind of thing where you just extend out and grab it and – just went off his hands. He got to it. He he got himself in the right position. He just couldn't secure it. But even outside of that, makes a great adjustment on a deep ball from Cam like two or three plays later in the same practice. Made a number of, of, of nice deep grabs throughout the week. He seems to be really adept in the back of the end zone. They were throwing him some passes high in the back of the end zone where he can go up, get it, come back down, get his feet in. Um, and I think that's who Nelson Aguilar is. And it's going to be really interesting to see how Patriots fans handle him because He's going to give you some spectacular moments. He's going to flash true deep threat potential, but there's just going to be drops in there. That's that's the player he is, and you just right. hope that the good outweighs the bad, and it did this week, and I thought he had a great week even with the drops, but we'll see kind of how it goes as the season goes on. I mentioned this in the beginning of the show. It's such a breath of fresh, fresh air for the Patriots to have a receiver in Aguilar who can actually run and can actually get behind yeah. the defense and stretch the field. And as a dynamic weapon on the outside, is he you know, Julio Jones or, or whatever, Tyree Kill or whatever you want to, you know, top receiver you want to compare him to? No, but he is so much better than Demir Bird ever was. And Demir Bird, I think, still had close to 700 yards last year in that X receiver yeah. role for the Patriots. So if Demir Bird with Cam Newton struggling last year in the first year in the system, all those caveats can Bird put up 600 really, last year, 604. Yeah. Can put up 600 yards in the offense as the X receiver. And Nelson Aguilar is clearly a better player than him and clearly a more dynamic route runner than he was. I think that a, a nine, he had 900 something last year. And I, I think Aguilar's, 
could be a thousand yard receiver if he gets the targets. I don't know if he's going to get the targets with the tight ends, but if he does get the target share and he has a couple of big games where he get, he pops off on some deep balls, you know, he, he might have a game where he's got 140 receiving yards or something like that. And if, if that's the case, then I, I think he could be pushing a thousand. He has been a very dynamic route runner and, and a really good field stretcher for them already in training camp. And like I mentioned, just a real breath of fresh air to see a guy that is actually NFL fast and can actually yeah. run and change gears and explode by somebody and run it with some route detail. There was one play early on in practice. Cam hit Jacoby Myers on a dig route. They're running dig post. It's a pretty classic route combination and. They had a split safeties. It was the look that they got. And Aguilar curved his route towards the sideline and then broke on the post. And he was also open. It wasn't necessarily a bad decision by Cam, but he was also open. I just love the little detail that he put in it to set up the safety for the break at the vertical part of the field and get downfield. He just runs good routes. He does a lot of things really well. It's, it's really exciting to have a player like that can actually get behind a defense and do something good with it. Uh, the other player I would just mention, also a receiver, is Kendrick Bourne, who has really stood out as just a very sharp route runner, very consistent, understands where he's supposed to be in the offense already, which is a difficult offense to pick up. He's already getting to the spots where he needs to get to. He's got strong hands, ability to work between the numbers. It's really been a a strong start for all the new pass catchers. But those two guys, seeing some real receiver talent, it's definitely uh, fun and exciting. And uh, before we really wrap it up, those are our practice players of the week. Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Alex, I got to give you a minute to talk about the Madden ratings. No, I know. We got, there's two things we got to do. Okay. The Madden ratings, and we do need to do a Boston sports. Yeah, a lot has happened in Boston sports, yes. So I, I don't want to talk about the ratings. I just sent you the list, and we talked about a couple of them, so you know a couple. I want one take from you on how Madden rated the Patriots, and then I'll give you mine. I want one from you. Okay, so I understand with Madden, as you, you have explained to me, that – a lot of it is how people compare to players at their position and not necessarily the overall rating against the, the masses, right? Right. So Michael Onwenu, for example, getting an 80, when you showed that to me initially, I was like, that that's pretty low. Then you told me that's like the 17th rated guard in the league. So basically they're saying he's one of the better guards in the league because you have two starting guards in every team. So he's 17 out of 64 is pretty solid, Right. right. So that's okay. Why Madden rated Damian Harris so low? I think they had, you, you just tweeted it out. Well, I, I have it right here. Yeah, yeah. I sent you the list so you have it for reference. Sony Michelle's a 79. He was, I think, 35th. James White's 78. Damian Harris is a 75. They are saying right. Damian Harris is the 53rd best running back in football. So that I think is absolutely crazy and shows me that the Madden Raiders, uh, maybe put, an emphasis, and I guess we could have like Andre on or someone like that to to answer this question. I, I this think he's is, sick of talking about that. Yeah, right. I I think that that tells me that the Madden Raiders put a little bit in longevity, right? Like Damian Harris yeah. only did it for what uh, eight game stretch last year or something like that, and Sony has been a serviceable NFL running back for three years now. 
So maybe they look at it and say Sony's kind of proven himself a little bit more in the league than Damian Harris. But in terms of pure running skill, we, we see it every single week that Damian Harris, he glides when he, he, yeah. even in previous practices, when we're not really getting real true run game reps, you see it, Damian Harris kind of take off when he sees the hole and he, he's a, he's a much more explosive back than Sony ever has been. So I'll give you mine now. And it goes back to that, you know, positional relativity. Jake Bailey as the yeah. 16th best punter in football. So what happened? Decks. What happened there? Like he I, that I can't tell you. I can normally kind of understand what they're thinking. Right. I, I honestly wasn't expecting him to be the best because they do put a tiny bit of stock into names and Johnny Hecker's Johnny Hecker. He's going to be the highest rated punter in football. Right. Jake Bailey should have been in the top three. He was an yeah. all pro last year. He was right. the best punter in the league last year. I don't understand that one. Evan, let me ask you one more thing. Okay. Who would you say is the fastest player on the Patriots? It's an interesting question. I think it's probably John Jones, maybe. Okay, so that's that's who I because these are the things that show up on film. So this is where I'm really right. curious what you think. So yeah. they have Jonathan Jones as the fastest. Who would you yeah. say is the, the the most raw strength? The raw strength, yeah, it, probably Hightower or Judon, maybe Godshot now, I guess, or Lawrence Guy. But so they have Lawrence men. Guy and Trent Brown as the two strongest. Well, Trent Brown is 400 pounds, so I guess that that that's somewhat fair. Yeah. And then who would you say is the best football IQ? Oh, Devin McCourty. So they actually gave – McCourty was second. They gave it to Stephon Gilmore. Okay. Oh, well, Stephon Gilmore is really – yeah. That, that's I, that's I fair. I'm not going to argue Yeah. With I mean, his yeah. ability to read routes and anticipate routes based off of combinations and stuff like that is is impressive. So, yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that. And then Cam Newton getting a 99 toughness I love because that's just going to draw a lot <laughs> of extreme reactions from both sides. But I don't think it's inaccurate. Yeah. So. So there you go. Uh, you want to do Boston Sports Minute? That's all, all right. I got on Matt. Well, how, how do we want to start? Bit. We want to start with your rant on the Red Sox. We want to pour one out for David Krejci. Uh, where do we want to go with this? I, I'll let you go off on the Red Sox for a second. Go ahead. Yeah, that was so disappointing. And I think that I, I get that Haim has the long-term approach in mind. And I actually don't hate that. But there were moves to be made that could have made this team better without sacrificing the long term. I don't think Anthony Rizzo went for that much. Yeah. I think that Kyle Schwarber is a good addition. I think adding both of them does make sense, but I think you could have gotten Rizzo for what you gave up for Schwarber in Rizzo. You need a first baseman. I know they're going to try Kyle Schwarber at first base. He's never played first base and people will say, Oh, playing first base in the majors. It's easy. It's not that easy, Trying, especially when taking the guy for like lesser, not to cut you off, but taking a guy for a little bit less and trying to move him to a new position is what the Rays do. It's what the A's do. It's what these money ball teams do. It's not what the Boston Red Sox It's one thing if you have this great defensive infield and they're going to make it easy on him. Xander's an above-average shortstop, but you have uh, Devers, whose arm can be inconsistent at times. Great range, but his arm can be inconsistent. you got a rotation at second base. I don't love putting a guy who hasn't played first base since high school – out there with this infield. I don't think that's great. I also think part of the reason they did it is Schwarber's under contract through next year. So you get another year of outfield play. Hunter Renfro's deal is a one-year deal. He's probably going to be expensive if he keeps it up. He's probably on the way out. So they took the lesser player because they wanted tenure, even though he might not be as much of a fit. That's what the Patriots did when they traded for Muhammad Sanu. Like, definition, that's what the Muhammad Sanu trade was. It was, we're going to sacrifice fit, 
we're going to sacrifice ability because we want the tenure. And it's not always a bad idea. It was a bad idea here. I think they needed pitching. I don't know why they got the pitchers they got. They needed starters. They didn't need bullpen. They needed good pitching. They got bad pitching. I've been a proponent of trading Michael Chavis. I never thought he had a role in this organization. They should have traded him two years ago when he had actual value. He doesn't now. I They still sold him short. They, they could have gotten more. So I think Schwarber's a nice addition in a bubble. You add a good bat. You add depth in the outfield, which they need. That's great. It wasn't their biggest need. They needed a first baseman. They needed a starting pitcher. They didn't do that. The other teams in their division got monumentally better. Berrios is a great addition for Toronto. I think I don't know why the Yankees did what they did. I think they're out of it. But uh, Cashman must have been told it's playoffs or bust. So he gets aggressive. I'm a huge Joey Gallo fan. I think he's great. They get him with tenure too. Um, and then they get Anthony Rizzo, who's a good player. So I this is a major, major red flag for the Red Sox for me. I was really put off by this deadline. This has been a fun team. They felt like a team worth investing in. I don't think they needed to blow, they I don't think they needed to blow up the farm system to do it. But here we are. They they didn't address their biggest needs. And most of the trades they made, I, I don't think either of those relievers are going to make a difference. I wouldn't have made either of those deals. Schwarber's a nice deal, but you're going to have to, you know, kerfunkle the lineup so much to get him in. It's probably not going to be worth it. Okay, so let's move on to the Bruins. David You don't Craig, have a talk, you don't have a take? I you pretty much summed it up. Okay. I, I I feel like I was listening to your guys, uh, Matt McCarthy and Maz, right at the trade deadline on yeah. Friday in the car uh, ride home. And they were saying that maybe this means that management and Heimblum and John Henry don't think that this Red Sox team is overachieved a little bit. And maybe think that this team is not quite World Series caliber yet. And to that, I say BS, like total yeah. BS, because – they certainly have the talent. They're having Chris Sale come back. Uh, Alex Cora is an absolute wizard. Like that's just selling everybody in that clubhouse extremely short to say that, yeah. that, that they don't have a world, a world series caliber team. And that's why if it was about the luxury tax, also BS, like that's huge, gross. Yeah. yeah, that's disgusting. So the only thing I can think of is the big trades, maybe not for Rizzo, but like for like a Max Scherzer who moved or something like that. If the team's called and the Red Sox were trying to get involved in that and they were like, give us Tristan Cassius or give us Duran or, or whatever, I can understand why they didn't want to make those moves, right? Like I understand why they're not going to give up their best or second best prospect in their farm system for 36-year-old Max Scherzer. I, I, I can get that. So I don't know. It's, it's, it was a tough spot to be in. I thought that they could have made, they got Schwarber, who I like. They could have made like another move like that, right? Like, like you mentioned, a Rizzo, for example, and, and put both of those guys on the team. I think that right. would have been bet. They would have been better off with that. If they had added Schwarber and Rizzo. I would honestly call that a great deadline. It was, right. it was the first base thing. Even a guy like CJ Crone from Colorado, who I don't believe ended up getting moved you can give up your 25th best prospect to get him and you just get so much better offensively and defensively at first base. There were marginal first basemen, the Doug Mankiewicz's, the Steve Pierce's of the world, right? right? They've made those moves before and they've made major differences, even though they didn't cost a ton. That guy was out there to be had and they just didn't do it. And that I won't, and they could have done it and stayed under the luxury tax. I won't understand why they didn't make, make a move like that. 
All right, quickly, uh, pouring one out, at least for the time being, for David Krejci. He could be back, I guess, eventually, but Ty Anderson put that he's got clear waivers and there's all sorts of obstacles to getting him back on the team after the Czech Republic season ends to get back on the Bruins for the playoffs is a lot harder than you'd think or or you'd want it to be. So David Krejci, at least out for this year with the Bruins, leaves a really big void, I think, at second-line center or maybe third-line center if you feel like Charlie Coyle can play second-line center. The name, the guy, it's Jack Eichel. Taylor Hall's Jack Eichel's buddy from Buffalo. Have him convince him. Jack Eichel's from here, right? I, I yep. believe he's from the New England area. Yep. He's from very locally. I'll look it up, but I know. I That's think the it. trade. That's the move. To- North Chelmsford. Not only is Jack Eichel a great player for you to go for another run with Bergeron and Marshawn and, and this, you know, what's left of the core, but also a great move for you long-term because he's a guy that could maybe replace Bergeron someday as that top line center, right? So I just love the idea of bringing Jack Eichel in. I know he's got some injury stuff going on right now, but that would be awesome. That would be an absolute home run if the Bruins can pull that off. They still need a left uh, left uh, shot defenseman. They still need a first line pair defenseman. I think I don't know if Krizlik is truly a, there's there's a lot of holes on on this Bruins team still. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I think Eichel. I think is a possibility just because he wants to be here. He's a yeah. guy. It would have to be an NBA type of thing where Eichel says, "I'm only going to Boston." And it's his it's, hometown team. Right. Taylor Hall's his buddy. You know, there, there's a they can play together again here on this with is, the Bruins. This is. It would be like like uh, Durant and Harden teaming up in Brooklyn, where they liked playing together. They just hated where they were. And right. They still want to play together, but elsewhere. So there is some NBA elements we have seen in the past in hockey. Guys will threaten to retire if they don't get traded to one specific team. Yes. Very, Eichel, normally, those guys are in their thirties. Eichel's much younger, so not necessarily. But I'm not ruling it out that he basically says either send me to Boston or I'll go play in Europe or I'll go you know whatever. So right. that's how it has to happen. With Krejci, it's crazy because, you know, now Char is gone. Krejci's gone. Krejci was a great Bruin, too. Right. Rask, we don't know. I mean, this core that's been together for an unprecedented amount of time, you know, they were the young guys in that 2010-2011 run, and now they've been the veterans. Um, we're pretty much down to to, to Marshawn and Bergeron, and I think Stephen Kampfer is still kicking around in Providence. But uh, the, the, it really, you know – massive, massive end of an era feeling for the Bruins. It probably won't truly hit until Bergeron leaves, but he's, you know, Marshawn's kind of in between. He was yeah. on that 2011 team, but he is significantly younger than I think Bergeron. He was, was he a rookie in 2011? I want to say he I think was he might have That yeah. year or the year before, but he, yeah. Um, yeah, it's Bergeron's basically the last one left from the, assuming Rask is done, which he might be. Bergeron's the last one left from that group. Yeah. Trader Brad. I, I love it. I love the moves yeah. that they've made so far. It seems like they're trying to set up maybe another uh, bigger move here with some of this, you know, Tristan Thompson trade and uh, Jordan Richardson. Uh, I don't know if he'll actually be on the team or not. You know, that could be another move. I know they've the Miles Turner thing has sort of resurfaced. Uh, the name that obviously all of us want is Bradley Beal. I don't know if that's going to happen this off season, but uh Brad Stevens making some moves and maybe he can sort of correct the wrong and get Miles Turner when, when Danny Ainge wouldn't pay the price. Yeah. I, you know, even the moves themselves, I know we talk about there's another bigger move coming, but I've always really liked Chris Dunn since he was at Providence. I think yeah. he's a good player. I think he plays their style of basketball. And I thought Tristan Thompson was a waste last year. I think getting rid of him is huge. I would like to keep Moses Brown to keep the front court depth a little bit, you know, more together, but, they can go find somebody else. Uh, Josh Richardson's another guy where if you get the player he was in Miami, 
And I know he had a rough year in Philly, but who doesn't have a rough year in Philly? Uh, if you can if you can get that Josh Richardson, like these are good moves. And this is in a conference that's becoming dominated by just offensive superstars. Giannis, yeah. Durant, Kyrie, they are building themselves up to be a defensive juggernaut. And some people call that boring. Some people will call that a dated philosophy. I love it. Make make every single basket your opponent has to score against it count. I think that's great. I love the new identity this team's taking on. Brad won the MLB trade deadline in Boston. I didn't see Trader it coming, Brad. but he did it. Trader Brad. All right. That was a thank you for humoring us. We only lost Boston. about 30 people. We only lost about a hundred people there towards the end. So I, I understand. We were going long here. Uh, first hour is football talk for people that are like, why the heck are they talking about the Celtics right now? Yeah. First hour of the show is football talk. Alex and I will be back on the podcast tomorrow afternoon after day five of training camp. We will definitely be on on Tuesday night as well, following the first day of full pads at training camp down at Foxborough on Tuesday. So uh, an exciting week. Things are going to really start to pick up. The competition is going to really begin on Tuesday when the pads go on. And we will have you completely covered here on Patriots Beat with reactions after every single practice. So keep it right here on Patriots Press Pass, Patriots Beat Podcast, and CLNSmedia.com. And read Alex on 98.5.com as well. And you can find his written work there too. But thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you guys again tomorrow. And again, we'll have a huge show on Tuesday night after the first day of pads as well. Well, but until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody.